Blog Talk Radio. A flipping out radio production. It's real. Tuesday night, July 5th, 2011. Welcome to the show that covers sports, life, and everything in between. My name is Joe, just Mrs. Buccino. As always, my tag team partner and co-host. David Gomez, a.k.a. DG, a.k.a. Folks, once again, we apologize for the technical difficulties. I don't know what's going on here. We got the uh, Brass Monkey instrumental going on after the Pure Gold intro. So again, we apologize for that in our late start time. We're still getting things figured out here. At the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Folks, once again, this is Pure Gold. The call on number 714-364-4721 if you'd like to be a part of our show. And, of course, check us out, puregoldpg.com, where you can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Well, again, we haven't done a YouTube show in months, but that's what got this all started, folks. So you can check us out there. Once again, puregoldpg.com. DG, what's going on? Well, sir, uh, a lot of things are going on, actually. Just excited to be back here at the CSB in the big uh, Double H, Hasbrook Heights. Just happy to be here, ready to rock and roll, sir. Yes, sir. So let's uh, get, let's get right into it, folks. Uh, the Subway Series is now over, a couple days late. But, you know, we like to do things PG style, so... <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, the Subway Series, I mean, the Mets were really hot, and for them to lose the first two games of the series was... A down at DG. I mean, you thought that this was one of their best chances to win a series against the Yankees and possibly sweep them. Uh, but the Yankees once again showed they are the Yankees and the Mets are the Mets. They, of course, of course. Did you watch any of the uh, any of the games? Unfortunately, I was not able to. With Friday, uh, you know, got the whole church situation going on there, and the Saturday and Sunday was, was busy. I know you kept me updated, and normally I, I do my best to check the games out. But unfortunately, unfortunately. I was not able to watch, uh, you know, the Mets won, I believe, the first game of the the first series and then the last game of this series. So the Mets bookended it, which kind of sucks, but at least they didn't get swept. There. That's true. I mean, game three, I mean, Sunday, the day before 4th of July, was a a, a really good game. I mean, the Mets, they needed that game in a, the worst way, and they, they got it against, the you know, probably the most unlikely ways against Mariano Rivera. I mean, if you closed your eyes, you almost thought that you were back in 1986 with a two-out rally in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know about 1986, considering that uh, this was definitely not an important game, sir. But, of course, you got to uh, lay it on thick, JB style. Yeah, I mean, the comeback was against Marion Rivera, the greatest reliever of all time, the greatest closer of all time. So that was cool. And, um, you know, there was a chance for them to win it in the bottom of the ninth when the ball went, you know, under Pena's legs at shortstop. But, was you know, there was a play at the plate. Unfortunately, the Mets couldn't win it then, but they did win it. With Mr. Say Hey, Jason Bay. Or as I had to say, Jason Bay, what do you say? Oh! So the Mets did take one, and, you know, they've carried their momentum into uh, the West Coast. You know, they started a West Coast trip last night, and, you know, typical Mets would have, you know, they would have pretty much lost the game last night uh, traveling to L.A., but, you know, L.A. is probably the, the only team... Worse off financially than the Mets right now, DJ. Probably, I would agree with that, sir. But let's let's look at the uh, the Mets in general. I mean, Jose Reyes is on the DL right now, and and of course his career will be over uh, as of tomorrow. And I'm thinking that you know you know like typical Mets, they they're getting injured left and right here. But I don't know, maybe this Jose Reyes injury might be a blessing in disguise, in terms of like maybe his value gets diminished or well, people might actually consider the uh, that. They might consider to think that, wait, this guy's always injured, blah, 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 as they always say, and him getting injured in a contract year when he's red hot is not good. We'll have to see the way he plays when he comes back, but you're right. It really may hurt his uh, his trade value, or excuse me, not his trade value, but his value of what he's going to sign for next year. 
And, of course, you look at Carl Crawford over in Boston, who, again, huge contract, and he's injured also, I think, with the hamstring as well. So they have that and the Reyes situation may make other teams shy off, which, of course, or shy away, which, of course, will help the Mets uh, in their in their attempt to resign him, sir. Now, the Mets last year were in the, almost a similar situation in terms of just having a great first half and then just imploding on the West Coast and pretty much losing every single game on that West Coast trip. <laughs> this team has a different field, DJ. I don't know if it's the young players on the team or you know, new management, new uh, general manager, but it just has a different feel. Even those teams only of two games over 500, I think that this team you know, really tries hard compared to last year. I agree, and again, it kind of goes back to the same thing. I, I've always ragged on the Mets this year and talked about how I didn't expect much from them, and I don't expect much from them. But the one thing you have to say is that this is a never-say-die type of team. They don't give up. They don't give in. And even if even when you think they're going to lose, they somehow find a way to win. When you think they're going to win, they somehow find a way to lose. I was looking at an interesting stat through Twitter the other day, and they were saying that the Mets are, are 500 against every division in baseball they've played, the NL East, the NL Central, uh, the NL West, and of course the AL East this year. They're they're you know what in, in the American League, whether it's uh, you know 18 and 18 or five and five or whatever. But they're 500 against every stinking division. And again, this is like three days ago, so I think the Mets are under 500 at this point. But I thought that was an interesting stat there. Can we make sure that the Mets play on the road the rest of the year? I mean, they absolutely suck at home. I don't know if we could. Maybe the Mets could play their uh, their games over at uh, Somerset, New Jersey. I think they'd be able to sell that park out there. But uh, more on that later on. Definitely. Now the team, I mean, is is hovering at the 500 mark, and you look of at course. and you look at teams that are contending for the wild card like the Braves right now that are just like pulling away slowly. I mean, you have to start thinking to yourself like, is this team enough to contend for the wild card for the rest of the year, or do you think it's time to, even though they're in it, should they sell off some pieces? Like for example, Carlos Beltran. If you could get a top prospect or a top-notch pitcher from him from the Red Sox, would you trade Carlos Beltran at this point? Well, you're not going to get a top-notch pitcher from any team. I think the, the the truth of the matter is Beltran does have some trade value. Yeah, you're going to have to eat some of his contract um, if you're getting him back. But he is still productive, so he's having an excellent year. I mean, he's an all-star again, I think, for the seventh time. I could be mistaken, but his first time in right – yeah, actually it is. And his first time in right field. But you, you have to admit, he's been great this year. I admit it. And um, we, we've been on we've been down on Beltran over the last couple of years. Um, if If they were to restructure his contract, do you think that – would you take him back again for next year? I would take him back, give him a two-year deal, because he's been productive. You know, the Mets fan rags on him, and I wasn't a big supporter of his after that called third strike with Adam Wainwright, and, uh, you know, I was listening to the radio today, and they were talking about that. But the truth of the matter is he's been very productive when healthy, and he's been healthy for the most part. In his first year, he only had 15 homers, which is a joke, but then in 06, he had 41 home runs, and he's knocking out 120-some-odd runs. He's been very productive, so I would take him back for two years, but... Most likely what's going to happen, the Mets are going to trade him away to a team in the American League where he can really flourish, and he'd be able to be a DH part-time and play mostly in the outfield. I mean, if he can give you 100, 110 games in the outfield and then the rest DH, sir, I mean, wouldn't you take that? Beltran's going to hit 25 home runs this year. He is going to hit that many home runs or maybe a little more. You never know. But, again, like I said, this team is hovering around the 500 mark, and you got teams that are much better – in you know all around, so I don't know if this team actually decides to keep the same players or they make trades. I, I don't know what they're going to do at this point. They're they're in limbo, but the team is fun to watch, and that's most important. DG, um, you know, another thing I was thinking about too is that you know, K Rod. I mean, I, I don't think I want him back after you know his contract is up. And I was thinking Bobby Parnell. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but he, the guy's throwing triple digits nowadays. Yeah, well, triple digits and a cup of coffee, you know, and then down will buy you a cup of coffee, as I like to say, with the potential. Parnell has potential, but the truth of the matter is that I don't think he's a major league closer. He could be, might be, probably not, since he's a Met. If he was on the Yankees, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the, but, sorry, but the truth of the matter is that in his situation, you know, with K-Rod, with the money that he's making, he's obviously not going to come back. The Mets are not going to allow his uh, options to vest for next year, but if he could... I think you can get something decent for K-Rod. You can get an American League team that needs a closer or a setup man, most likely a closer, but somebody in contention. He would make a great addition to that team because he's, he's throwing well. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, he's been really bringing the heat and, and doing what he needs to do. So I think that it's a possibility. If they can trade him and Beltran, maybe package a deal or something, they they can get back some decent prospects. Let's just hope he doesn't get injured. I mean, No, he will. He's a man. He'll be done for the year as of tomorrow. DG, explain to me how... 
a person like an Albert Pujols, <laughs> after supposedly you know fracturing his arm, is going to be back before Ike Davis and David Wright? I actually think he had both of his arms amputated. I can't confirm that, though, but uh, he's back. He's going to be uh, better than ever. If he was on the Mets, what would have happened was he would have gotten a hangnail and he would have been, his career would have been over. You know, definitely, no doubt. But when I heard that he was coming back, I literally could not believe it. They're talking, I, I remember uh, I was at the pizzeria with my wife, I think it was last week, and they're talking four to six weeks. I'm thinking, man, contract year, this is bad for him, but maybe, you know, it gets him on the cheap. Comes back in a week, and of course, like I said, uh, not being a Met, if he was a Met, you know, you got situations like Ike Davis who bumps into David Wright, gets a stub toe, and then he has to have his toe removed because of gangrene, and then he can no longer walk properly, and he can no longer play for a space. That is what happens to the Mets. The Mets day-to-day becomes day-to-month and becomes month-to-year. So, Joe, I have no clue. I don't know what Albert's on. I don't know what he's doing. And not to accuse him of anything, obviously, he's a, the greatest player on the planet. But how the hell does this guy come back injury-free <laughs> in a week or, you know, 10 days? Explain that to me, sir. I can't explain it. It's a, it's a mystery. But all I do know is that if the Mets ownership was, you know, if they caught wind of Albert Pujols returning only after a week, I, I'd be calling up their medical staff and saying, you want to work for the Mets here? I mean, I think the Mets. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I think the Mets need to send their players to other teams. I think they need to fire their medical staff, have no medical staff, and just go across town to the Yankees because you. Know, I mean, Jeter's you know progressing nicely. You know, he's finally back, but he was progressing nicely in his injury. And these guys, <laughs> Mets players, just never seem to come back for whatever reason. Phil Hughes is um, Al Hughes. Yeah, Phil Hughes. He's still a mystery, though. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with him? I mean, that's a big, big key. To the Yankees' success, I think, and we'll see what happens with him. Well, I mean, he's definitely key to the success, but look at what they're doing now. The Yankees, I was looking at a stat. Uh, I forget what it was exactly. I can't quote it, but they're like 1-8 and eight against the Red Sox. And other than that, they're like 20 games over 500 against the rest of the league. So I don't think the Yankees have any problem. They're, they're, you know, we're not crying a famine here for the Yankees because they're getting the job done as they always do. No, as always, I think the Yankees are built for the, the regular season right now. And you know they they do need to add that key pitcher I think for a short series. I mean, look at the the top teams. You know, obviously the the Red Sox or the Phillies. I mean, their pitching is just far more superior than the Yankees. Uh, there's no there's no doubt about it. But who are the Yankees going to get that would end up being on the level of let's say a Cliff Lee? You know, and Cliff Lee's your number two starter. I mean, you know, who with the Phillies? Who would be on that level? Who would they possibly be able to get? I mean, we could trade him Johan for a bag of balls because I don't know if he's coming back. But I mean. What's the deal with that? It's, whoever they get, it's not going to stack up. You're right. The Yankees are typically built for the for the regular season, but but they find ways to win. They find ways to get the job done. They got CC Sabathia throwing nothing but gas out there and and just you know finding ways to win. But if you have number two and number three, I mean, who's your number two? Cologne. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not too uh, sold on that. Maybe Andy Pettit comes out of retirement, and uh, or maybe Roger Clemens uh, in Steinbrenner's box comes back and he's ready to to pitch again there. Possibly. Uh, the one thing we did learn about the Yankees is that. Life will go on after Derek Jeter. Uh, that's true, and it's it's amazing when you think about it. But El Capitan, number two. I mean, eventually he's going to be done. He's not going to be playing, uh, you know, for the rest of his life. But uh, you know, me as a non-Yankee fan, as a, you, know, you as a Yankee hater, I think about what's going to happen to them when Mariano leaves because that is going to be a hole that's going to be pretty hard to fill, sir. I mean, the only constant in the Yankees championships has been Mariano Rivera. So yes. Uh, the the best closer of all time, I would definitely say, DG. It's going to be tough to replace him. No, that's, that's true, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Yankees. We'll see how they progress. I mean, you got Curtis Granderson. I, I want to know what Curtis Granderson is doing, sir. I want to know what he is on because 25 home runs before the All-Star break when he is five home runs away from his career high makes me want to vomit. I understand that he's a lefty and he's, you know, jacking balls, uh, you know, 200 feet over to the right field porch, but... 25 home runs? I mean, he's on a pace to hit 50. That's insane. What is it, Brady Anderson all over again from uh, 1996? That's what I was going to say, Brady Anderson all over again. <laughs> I, you know, I hope that, uh, I mean, again, it's, it's a speculation, obviously, and I'm not I'm not even saying I've heard anything, because what do I know? But I just don't understand how a guy goes and jacks 25 bombs when his career high is 30. I mean, he's literally on a pace to hit 50 home runs. So we're we're headed towards the all-star break. Both New York teams are playing, you know, the Mets are playing decent. Yankees are on a roll. Is the entire Yankees team going to the All-Star? Uh, I'm not too sure about that. Was it like 15, 20 guys? Derek Jeter is a starter. You know, this is what upsets me about the All-Star game. And I understand that fans, you're giving them the right to vote when you want the fans in there. But you got to be kidding me. Jeter should be on the All-Star team, starting on the All-Star team. 
I mean, I know he got a billion votes, but I just, I don't understand that. It's the same way with, you know, some guys even on the Mets who've gotten in there. You just, guys get voted in just for the sake, just for the name brand and not even the fact that they're deserving. And that's something that's always bothered me. Yeah, I mean, CC Sabathia is not on the team. So how, how do you explain that? How is that even possible? I don't know. I mean, they have to, if they want to change the way of voting, you know, I mean, just look at Jeter making the team. And it happens all the time, DG, not just like Jeter making, being a starter, but having somebody like CC Sabathia not make the all-star team is just, it's just weird. The way the voting is, that's how Major League Baseball does it. I agree, sir, and, and honestly, I, I don't understand it. All right, so, you know, we'll see what the, you know, the all-star break is coming up. Home Run Derby is on Monday, all-star game on Tuesday. Sorry, I had, to, I had to have my flips cue that up because uh, that's how I feel about this whole thing. And, again, I'm not a Yankee fan, but how does somebody like CeCe Sabathia not get voted into the all-star game, or, you know, again, pitching? But how does he not get chosen to be uh, on the all-star team, sir? It doesn't make sense. But like I said, the All-Star break uh, is coming up soon next week. A week from today is the All-Star game. So we'll see what the teams do in the second half. We'll see if the Mets fall off the planet like they did last year. So uh, some things will be, you know, some questions will be definitely raised. Again, this is Pure Gold coming to you live from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. We are live. It is Tuesday, July 5th. DG. (laughs) DG. Yes, sir. Did you uh, catch? Yes, I did. I absolutely caught Monday Night Raw, sir. And let me just say that overall, I thought Raw was actually pretty good. You know, I saw most of it, and uh, I was working out yesterday. I had to get pumped up for uh, this big trip of mine that I'm going to, uh, the big old cheese state. Um, you know, I'm going to go visit my brother out there. But uh, I saw most of it, and what honestly, what really left an impression on me was the fact that... <clears throat> Excuse me, folks, I get choked up when I talk about this. The two John Cena promos ended up bookending the show. And, you know, John was actually good on the microphone, as good as he's been, honestly, since he was a rapper back in the day. And he wasn't his usual over-the-top, ridiculous, nonsensical self, not with his usual toolery, as it were. And, you know, he was straightforward to the point. He, he shot straight, shot from the hip, which I like. I love the fact that he mentioned Hulk Hogan and some uh, some past stars. And, of course, I really love that he even brought up the whole subject of what we've heard on the Internet about the WWE taking fan signs away, sir. What did you uh, what you think about that? Yeah, it was all interesting. Uh, Raw was not live last night, folks, but it was pre-taped. But uh, the segments were really good. And I know DG definitely tweeted after Vince McMahon said, wrestling organization. Oh, absolutely. I, not only did I tweet, but I popped. I had face pop, heel pop, whatever you want to do. I was absolutely stunned. And I mean stunned that he said wrestling organization or promotion, I forget exactly what it was, but, you know, I thought that I thought that it was interesting with Vince coming out there because I thought that the interaction between him and Cena was good, the back and forth, Vince, you know, always is good on the microphone, of course, and everything that they referenced was awesome. I love the fact that they talked about Hulk Hogan again, um, you know, issues that they've had. I like how Vince said it. This is what I found interesting. Vince actually admitted that he thought that Punk could beat Cena, and he was worried that he would leave with the title, which, of course, is when he said wrestling promotion or, you know, organization. That blew me away because the WWE, we talked about this with Pyro, who's actually we're going to have on in a little bit. Um, the WWE is not a wrestling federation. It's not a wrestling promotion anymore. It's just WWE. It's entertainment. But then mentioning wrestling, Punk mentioning wrestling, the best wrestler in the world. I thought it was great. Anytime that they mention or acknowledge the word wrestling on WWE TV, it's a great sign for us as wrestling fans there. Do you, do you like the way the storyline is progressing now that after Punk's great promo, or as you would say, the greatest promo of all time. Ever! Ever! Would you say that the storyline is progressing just like you want it to be? I don't know if I would say uh I don't know if I would say just as I want it to be, you know, and we have a, a mention here from uh, one of our fans that the interaction between Cena and Vince was very tense, which I liked, you know. I, I love the fact that they they did that whole thing, but I thought that the I thought that their interaction was good. I thought the storyline is progressing well. I thought the storyline was progressing well, folks. And again, we apologize. I don't know what is going on here with this little media frenzy we have. But uh, I I thought that was pretty good. But um, the truth is that the way the story is progressing, the way that it's working, it's going well. As a fan, you have to love, again, the the realistic angle of it. The fact that it's not your typical WWE Drek, to steal a word from Pyro, it is... It it seems to be real. Is it going to draw money? Absolutely, because ultimately that's the bottom line. No, I absolutely think it's going to draw money. I think people are going to get into it. I think people are going to want to watch it. 
And I think that it's just interesting and exciting because it's something different. It's something that, you know, the WWE is finally capitalizing on the internet audience. They're finally capitalizing on the hardcore wrestling fan. And they're finally capitalizing on what we like, which is real-life drama. Right. Now, I mean, there's some parallels to the whole, you know, Brett and Sean screwjob of 1997. But, um, you know, Vince McMahon is, is outright saying he'll fire John Cena if he loses on Monday night. So... I mean, but you know what the problem with that is, and this is what I don't like. He should have just said, "I'll fire your, you know, AWS," as he likes to throw it out there. But instead, he said, "I'll fire you if John Cena leaves with the title." Um, excuse me, with TM Punk leaves with the title, which that sets up quite simply is that Punk will probably win. Which, of course, I think you think we all think, you know, Flips thinks it too that Punk is going to win. But then he won't leave with the title because one of the Money in the Bank guys, whether it be Alberto Del Rio or Albert, as you like to say which is probably what's going to happen. I'll call it right now on Pure Gold, uh, you know, the pay-per-views next week. I'll call it right now that what's going to happen is that Del Rio is going to win the money in the bank, and then he's going to win the title by the end of the night. And him and uh, Cena will be feuding into SummerSlam. But you've got to capitalize on this whole Punk thing. I would absolutely love it, and I mean love it, if they let Punk win, let him walk out, fire Cena, storyline, of course, keep John off TV, because when he got fired, the whole Nexus thing, he was on TV more than he is now, and Punk, who was suspended, has already been off TV for entire week. So what they should do, have Punk win, Cena gets canned, and then have Punk show up somewhere else, like Ring of Honor, and actually throw the belt in the trash, and then they can bring back a new title star. What do you think about that? That's great fantasy booking, but never going to happen. But <laughs> I like what you think, how you think. Um, the one thing that I'm confused about, DG, is that you mentioned it, is that... One thing? Uh, a couple things about uh, WWE lately. How is... Uh, Albert Del Rio, the number one contender, and how is Sheamus the number one contender for SmackDown when I thought the whole point of the Money in the Bank match was to determine a number one contender? Well, the Money in the Bank is... uh, The idea was that you still need somebody to fight at the pay-per-view. Obviously, you have a Money in the Bank match where guys are going to fight, but you need to have somebody fighting for the title. It's like the Royal Rumble. I mean, it's the same concept. It's You have your number one contender at the end of the night, but ultimately you still have your titles going on in your title matches, so you need to have those titles being defended. So, what I want to know is, is is this foreshadowing, Del Rio won the number one contendership, is this foreshadowing to see that Albert's going to win and then again become the champion, sir? Good point. I mean, I never thought about that that way until you just mentioned that the fact that you win the money in the bank doesn't mean you get the title match that night. You could cash in at any time, I guess, before WrestleMania or the next money in the bank pay-per-view. You can do anything. No, not the next Money in the Bank pay-per-view because that would be next year. You have until WrestleMania to cash it in. So yeah. less than a year. But then again, you might be right because when Kennedy won, uh, Anderson, when he won the title, it was WrestleMania to WrestleMania. So you're right. It could be uh, Money in the Bank to Money in the Bank. Do you have Pyro on hold, sir? Yeah, we actually do have Pyro on hold. But uh, before we do that, let's just uh, wrap this up real quick so that we can come back with Pyro after a uh, after a little commercial break there. All right. Let's do it. Hey, what's up? It's James Flippin' of Garden State Radio. And this is Lauren Crocker, also of Garden State Radio. You know, on Garden State Radio, you get news, sports, politics, and entertainment, all with a New Jersey flavor. And when you step on the ladies' corner, you're always going to have the hottest fashion, topics, and trends with me and Lady E. So check us out on Twitter, GS Radio Waves. You can also find us on Flippin' Out Radio, also on Twitter. And uh, check us out on iTunes. Absolutely. <laughs> Flipping out radio. It's real. Oh, you knucklehead. Folks, we are back once again. Pure gold. That was a short commercial break. Didn't want to leave you hanging for too long. The call in number is always 714 364 4721. And now we're going to get to uh, one of our guests for the evening, the one and only member of the uh, Pure Gold team, who, of course, pays us to be on this show. We have Pyro Falcon from OnlineOnslaught.com. Pyro, how are you this evening, sir? I'm doing all right, guys. How are you? Good. Wonderful, as always. So, Pyro, give us your take. What did you think of... uh, I know you and I talked briefly um, after the show last night, but what did you think of John Cena and his his promo ability last night? Well, for for an out-of-the-park promo, that wasn't quite it. It was a very, very good one, though, to put in baseball parlance. I'd call it a triple, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Punk's promo was definitely a home run, but Cena Vince was probably a triple. Um, it was very good. It felt real. It uh, certainly had the tenseness uh, that your uh, commenter had said. Sorry, I'm actually feeling a little under the weather, so you'll have to forgive me if I 
sound weird. Anyway, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and what you said earlier as far as that, uh, telling the story and making money. I mean, I, I've already gone on record as saying I'm interested in money in the bank. I never watched WWE pay-per-views except for WrestleMania. And yeah. Now I'm definitely getting money in the bank. There's no question. Because, you know, I'm curious on exactly how it's going to go down. And, you know, even if um, uh, if it does happen exactly the way you thought, which is a great fantasy book where, uh, you know, Punk wins but winds up losing the belt, um I'm curious to see who actually winds up becoming the uh, the new champion. I mean, I'm curious who wins Money in the Bank because yeah, I, I don't I, even remember who all's in it. <laughs> I honestly think, well, you have Alex Riley, you have The Miz, you have uh, Kofi Kingston, you have Alberto Del Rio, you have Evan Bourne, who of course will not win. I think Jack Swagger's in there and uh, uh, I'm missing a guy or two. But basically the only guy that I could sit there, I think our truth also, the only guy I could really sit there and think that is going to win um, is is Albert, you know, Del Rio. I can't imagine Miz and Riley because they're going to go on this feud for the next five years, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I think the the only way this is going to turn out, and I would love it if it turned out differently, but I think the best uh, from a fan perspective would be to have Punk win, have him, you know, do whatever with the title, and then have Del Rio come and, and win the title. Because I think at this point, I didn't think he was ready at WrestleMania, and he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. But what scares me is that he's going to win the belt, and then he's going to be, you know in the toilet like every other guy who wins the title. But, you know, that's my idea. That's my little fantasy book, sir. Yeah, the only other uh, fantasy book I can think of is since Alberto Del Rio won the number one contenders match yesterday, which now is irrelevant, I'd actually find it amusing if he doesn't win money in the bank, but, you know, one of the faces do, goes on to beat Punk, and now Alberto Del Rio can whine and moan about uh, how it was his destiny and it was taken away from him because, Vince reinstating Punk or whatever nonsense. And, I mean, either way, you get ADR um, involved in that title haunt. And, yeah, it's, it, it'll help him out since he's been kind of uh, buried the last few months. Yeah, definitely. And uh, let, let me ask you this, sir. Um, you know, since we were talking about the whole Cena situation, and obviously you and I both on the record have gone on to say that we're going to order the Money in the Bank pay-per-view or check it out in some way, shape, or form. It's something that I never do. Give us your thoughts on the. Give us your thoughts on uh, the Miz. What the hell is going on with him losing again to Alex Riley? I mean, I can't stand it. I don't know, Joe, if you want to chime in on this one, but uh, Pyro, give us your take on that. Yeah. Um, over the past few weeks, if your listeners may remember, I've been sort of being an apologist about that, saying that uh, it's not so bad yet because you know this is a story being told and the Miz is losing it. But even now, I'm coming around to DG's point of view because this is. He, he's losing too much, and, and and money in the bank is pretty much make or break. I mean, even if they're you know involved in whatever they're involved in money in the bank, the money in the bank match. I mean, Miz has got to come out on top somehow over Alex because otherwise, you know, Miz just looks completely weak. And you know, it's I, I have the uh, what what uh, Rick Skaya calls the Dick Vitale basketball theory of. Uh, Oh, the transitive theory. Because um, if Alex keeps going over Miz, and Miz was a former champion, then you're basically saying that Alex is as good as a former champion and may even hold the title and whatnot. And I, you know, that's just ridiculous. So seeing Alex win constantly is getting a little boring. I'm just kind of happy to see him get the crap knocked out of him on Monday. Totally agree, Pyro. Now, um, you know, the the Miz, you're right. If, if He must have killed Vince McMahon's dog. Seriously, because <laughs> he's in the doghouse. I mean, I, I, can't explain Literally. What, I can't explain what's going on with the Miz. I mean, the guy was champion only a couple months ago, and now he's just losing to Riley every single time. It doesn't make sense. And um, as much as that doesn't make sense, I just want to ask you real fast, uh, just looking at the other title picture with uh, SmackDown, Sheamus has, like, put a little wrinkle in the match between Randy and Christian. Is there any sense of that? Not really. Um, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, they've done Christian Orton so much recently that they just want to add someone else and kind of, you know, break it up. Because, uh, you know, when I did my recap for SmackDown, I actually didn't even notice that Christian never wound up signing the contract. I thought they had signed it and everything was fine, but... Um, you know, they're going to insert Sheamus into it and make it a three-way match, a triple threat match, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I, I'm quickly losing my 
talk, anything of the word. I I'm quickly losing interest in the SmackDown title picture. Um, you know, the longer Orton holds the belt, the worse I feel about life. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, the thing about storing shame there, it literally throws a monkey wrench and an Irish monkey wrench into the plans because what they should have done is had Christian win the title finally or and then you can continue this feud. Then you throw Sheamus in there. Throwing Sheamus in there can literally just mean that Orton holds on to it again. Christian technically got hosed, and then they fight at the next pay-per-view, whatever the hell pay-per-view that is. That's exactly. right. They're just they're they're just taking the story and you know they're dragging it out way too long. Sort of like what they did with Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler. I think that's WWE's biggest issue. They keep having the, well, maybe it's not their biggest issue, but one of their issues is they keep dragging out stories way too long, way, way long after they've worn out their welcome. Let's not mention that again on the air, sir, please. Now, Pyro, I mean, I know you called up, I, I know you called up for wrestling, but uh, Flips is telling me that uh, something else is on your mind. What's up? Yeah, um, it's kind of a hard way to segue into it, but uh, this is sort of my nugget, if I can have a nugget on your show. Um, I was uh, watching the uh, the famous uh, Casey Anthony trial that was going on and has been going on, and um, Anthony was found not guilty for the three violent counts today, and it's created this gigantic um, crap storm all over the Internet with everyone, you know, crying foul and saying this is O.J. Simpson and 1995 all over again. And um, I guess what all that bothers me is that from what I've looked around on the Internet, most people are complaining that somehow this is a uh, an, an illustration of how corrupt our system is. And um, I know we normally, you guys normally avoid political talk on the show, but what bothers me about that, I, I always hate hearing that, uh, you know, so it, just because someone apparently has gotten off with murder, that somehow the whole system is corrupt. I don't believe the whole system can be corrupted. I believe the people can be corrupted. And I was watching CNN, and this is why I don't like these media circus trials, is because uh, not only did, um, you know, not only is this, escalated and everyone's yelling at everyone else on the internet the cnn themselves brought in a woman to interview this woman drove a hundred miles to see the verdict and but she went from spectator to creepy stalker because during the interview she even admitted that she drove by the anthony household she drove to see where kaylee anderson's remains uh, anthony's remains were recovered and um how uh, and this is the quote that really gets me. She says that she has a two and a half year old daughter of her own, and she says, "Whenever I touch or kiss or hug my two year old, uh, two and a half year old daughter, I'm thinking of Kaylee." Wow, I'm like creepy. Really? This <laughs> <laughs> would say really. So you know that, that's why I don't like these media circus trials because they bring out the worst in people. And and like I said, everyone complains the system is suddenly corrupted. You know and you know, I know something else was going on. There was overwhelming evidence against her, and from yeah. from other certain reports of CNN, it sounds like the jury is uh, kind of took the quickest way possible to end the case. And you know, you can make all sorts of comments about that, but you know, to me, that's on the jury. It's on the twelve idiots who you know called her not guilty. Well, think about and not you know, on the system itself. Much, they pretty much boycotted. Uh, you know, they haven't actually appeared. The the jury afterwards, they decided to not show up. But, you know, what bothers me about the – I agree with you on the whole circus trial thing. What bothers me is that people get so invested in it. I mean, when I heard some of the stuff today, I'm thinking, like, how is it possible that this woman was not convicted? But truthfully, only only God knows who, you know, what what the truth is. It seems to be overwhelming. The jury didn't, you know, go for it. But what, what bugs me is that people's reaction to it is just so insane. I see people online, uh, you know, on Facebook and stuff talking about how, you know, she didn't get convicted, but she deserves to burn in hell, and that's where she's going to be for all eternity, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. Well, that, that that to me is is almost as creepy as uh, what you were talking about with that lady, that stalker lady. But, you know, we all have our opinions, but nobody really knows the facts. Nobody can 100% be on the shadow of a doubt. The only people who know the truth are her and, and God, like I said, because if she was tried and she wasn't found guilty, you know, what? She, what, what can we do? What bugs me also is that, and I don't, I don't want to get too into this, or you know, personal stuff, and you know, no names or anything. But I have a, I have somebody that I know, somebody very close to me, you know, for much less than that than what she's accused of doing, is going to end up doing, you know, almost four years in prison, and it's insane because 
you know, this woman who allegedly did whatever she allegedly did or didn't do, she served three years already, is going to get the final year, and she's going to do four for, you know, basically for getting away with murder, allegedly, so we think. I, I think. Yeah, I've, the seeing the fallout from the trial has actually uh, made me question the sanity of humanity. I mean, I, I also think uh, back to when CNN did a news report on Michael Jackson's death, however many years ago that's been, and there was this guy who was on CNN, who was interviewed by CNN, and he said, and I quote, "Michael Jackson's death is bigger than Jesus's death," and I was so blown away that he was being serious. I mean, you know, in, in my business, you know, hyperbole and exaggeration is what I do. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I'm kidding. And everyone who reads my stuff knows I'm kidding. And But, you know, this guy who says, you know, Michael Jackson's death was better than Jesus's, he was serious. And this woman who, like I said, acts more like a stalker than a spectator, she is serious about whatever is going on in her head. And, oh, what terrifies me the most is that woman who uh, uh, stalked all this stuff. She's a middle school teacher, and she also admitted on CNN that she's going to use the case somehow to educate her students about something. And that is what, also away from extremely parents, terrifying. Trusting them when they look up chloroform or chlorophyll or whatever it is on the You know, Pyro, this is definitely interesting. This is the most political, I think, that we've ever gotten, but it's interesting because... We all have an opinion. I know Joe has his opinion. I have my opinion. You have your opinion. And you know, we 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 obviously appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you even bringing this up. Um, I I don't. It's kind of odd to switch gears from this to anything else. But real quick before we let you go, um, I heard somebody make a comment to me. This is not Casey Anthony related, but somebody made a comment to me about how they thought that Alex Riley. And again, I feel awkward even going back to that. <laughs> this is like let's go to a commercial break, but. Uh, Alex Riley is the is the next John Cena, and uh, I wanted to get your your brief take on that because when I heard that I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? How is it possible that you could even say that? First of all, when John Cena was was signed, when he was the prototype, and then he ended up coming up and fighting Kurt Angle, he wasn't the next John Cena. There was no next John Cena. Riley has done nothing other than feud with the Miz or be involved with the Miz. His career started last year on NXT. All he's done is is be with the Miz. And he's getting over on The Miz, and obviously The Miz is hated, so he gets love. This is my theory. So when they put him with somebody else, is he going to lose that heat, or is he going to retain it? I mean, he looks okay, but he doesn't look like the next, quote-unquote, John Cena face of the company. Yeah, you you owe whoever said that a kidney punch. Um, Alex Riley's totally unproven. I mean, you know, we never know. There, there's every chance in the world that Alex is actually the next rock, and he winds up, you know, taking the entire world by storm. But, you know, the chance of that happening is extremely low. Alex is way too unproven. He hasn't cut any promos. His ring work is solid, but nothing spectacular. You know, I don't know. That's just that's just someone, uh, once again, returning to the theme, uh, going, uh, reacting a little too much to the situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I hope Alex, you know, I, I mean, I, I wish him the most success. I hope he really is that good. But... You know, it's way too early to say anything like that. Definitely. Pyro, as always, a pleasure. We appreciate you coming on. Hopefully something good will happen next week with CM Punk, and then we'll be able to talk to you again next Tuesday, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, Pyro. Folks, that was Pyro Falcon, extended family member of the pure gold. Our second cousin once removed. Once removed. Not twice. Because our twice removed cousin is on the air right now. Folks, it's 11 o'clock straight up. It's time for Todd's sports update and Todd's take. Todd, how are you, sir? My hair is looking redder every day. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> Live and local, Yanks over the Indians, 9-2. to two. Mets go to the fourth, and Pelk gets away with another one, stranding runners on second and third. There is no score. Mets Dodgers. Rangers over the Orioles, 4-2. to two. Cards over the Reds, 8-1. to one. Royals are leading the White Sox 5-3 in the bottom of the ninth. Phils over the Marlins in a big way, 14-2 today. Twins over the Rays, 3-2. Diamondbacks top the Brewers, 7-3. Tigers and the Angels, it is 1-0 Angels in the third. Padres and the Giants nodded at 2 in the third. Mariners over the A's, 1-0 in the fourth. Nats top the Cubs, 3-2. The Sox top the Jays, 3-2. Pirates over the Astros, 5-1. to one, And the Rockies drop one, 3-5 to five to the Braves. DG. JB. 
we're playing uh, hot potato here, Todd. Woo! <laughs> but uh, we do apologize. Last week we did all wrestling, so we couldn't get to your take. So I get the feeling that we're going to have an extra special Todd's take. Take it away, sir. Well, let me tell you, this week, it's been a while since you guys have heard me get really heated, and I have to say, I'm pretty hot under the collar. Tonight I want to talk about, uh, perhaps even rant about, the, uh, the NFL's top 100 players for the 2011 se- uh, season. It's been an 11-part miniseries on uh, NFL Network. Uh, that is, of course, assuming that there is going to be a season this year, of course. Now, I absolutely feel that this, this topic needs to be debated. And in order to debate the list, the first thing that we require is another opinion. So let's huddle up here, fellas. First question, did either of you see any or all of this 11-hour miniseries of unfortunate events? No, sir, I did not. Okay. For those of you who did not see it, the NFL polled all the players to see who they felt were the top 100 players for the season yet to come. If you sat through this abomination of a list, then like me, you learn that the current crop of NFL players are less qualified to choose what players are best in the league. I mean, my opinion counts for more than theirs does. I mean, these guys aren't even watching these other guys play. Sure, if if I play for the Jets, it's a pass twice a year, so I know who's good on their team. But how the hell do I know who's good on the Vikings? Why does my opinion matter? Now, I had no intention of... uh, shutting the show down or ran about this whole list or pick out individual players one by one. But I will indeed blow my top about the top ten. So here we go. Number one, you guessed it. I mean, Tom Brady, no big surprise really. And, you know, well-deserved even to a blindly, uh, my blind rage to the Patriots. You know, I understand. You know, it's, it is the right pick. Number two, Peyton Manning. You know, really it's a one and one A situation, and I'm cool with it. You know, but this is where the list gets a little squirrely to me. Number three, Adrian Peterson. I mean, I'm not crazy about this pick, but I guess his 20 fumbles in three seasons doesn't matter much. Terrible. Number four is Ray Lewis. I mean, seriously, Ray Lewis? Apparently not even being a top five in tackles qualifies you for this list. And that that even being a, a big mouth counts for something. So number five is Ed Reed. You know, league-leading eight interceptions after missing six games in 2010 for a total of 16 games missed in nine seasons. I mean, he's a great player, you know, when he's healthy. Number six, Troy Palomalu. No real issue with that pick. Number seven, Andre Johnson. Well, he's he's great, but really, number seven? I, I don't know about that. Man. Number eight, the unequivocal best corner in the league, Darrell Revis. Now, Wait just a damn minute here, all right? All Revis had to do was shut Johnson down. I mean, four catches for 20 yards with zero touchdowns. And you're going to tell me that this guy deserves to be higher on the list than Darrell Revis? Seriously? I mean, come on now. Now, here's the next question I have for you guys. You're building a team, okay? You can have any player you want off of this this top ten list. Let's, Let's just talk about the top ten players. Now, after you take a quarterback, you know, your choice between 1 and 1A, you know, that's fine. You're telling me that you're going to take Fumbleitis or old big mouth over the hill, injury-prone Eddie, head and shoulders, or Mr. Disappear before you take the Fantasy Island? Of course you wouldn't. Nobody in their right mind would. Now, let me be perfectly clear. This is not a gangrene thing, all right? This is not a New York Jets thing. This is a common sense thing. Julius Peppers at number 10 makes more sense than any of the guys under three through eight. I mean, come on. This list is ridiculous. This is what you, what we have for you. This is what we have you, uh, what, this is a what have you done for me lately league. Okay. So Ray, I mean, you led the league in tackles in the postseason. No, you didn't. J.D., D.G., who led the league in tackles in the postseason? You tell me, Todd. David Harris. That's right. You're both right. David Harris of the New York Jets led the league in tackles in the postseason. That makes him a better pick than Ray Lewis. He, he's not even in the top ten. Ridiculous. Ridiculous list. Did Baltimore have a top five D for the season? No. 
what the Jets did. I think from now on, the players should play, and the fans' votes should be the ones that are taken. I'm an aggravated Todd Johnstone. JB? Todd, <laughs> I love that one. But Gotta just, love it. Gotta love it. But just tell us, who, who created that list now? The votes were every player in the league was asked to name who they thought were the top 100 players. Now, they didn't really get into specifics. I'm assuming that they asked every player to maybe name their top 10. All right, so it was only players that voted on this list. And then they had uh, play other players and coaches. and I mean, even A-Rod got to introduce somebody. It was kind of silly. But it was a player-only vote. And Amazing. the players put Ed Reed in front of, um, in front of uh, Darrell Rivas. They put Ray Lewis, who has done nothing in the past three or four seasons, ahead of Darrell Rivas. Troy Palomaro... All right, maybe I'll give it to you. I didn't think he was, was that great last season. He was injured a lot of it, but it's supposed to be based on their performance in 2011. Donovan McNabb was 100. Are you kidding me? Based on what he has done in the past couple of seasons, you think he's going to be that good this year that he's going to make that list? You think that he's going to have a better season than, say, uh, Chad Henney or, or Mark Sanchez? I don't think so. The list is ridiculous. It's absolutely ludicrous. Todd, I mean, some of the people who are on it made it because of who they were, not who they are or who they will be. You're so right. I mean, that was one of the best takes. I mean, the best take ever, I think. Ever, ever, ever. So great, in fact, it made me go to the bathroom while you were doing it. I'll make sure it's longer next time to give you more time. <laughs> this way you can wash your hands sufficiently. Todd, have a good night, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> good night, guys. Folks, that was the one and only, the incomparable Todd Johnstone. Folks, we're going to take another quick commercial break, and when we come back straight from the Betty Ford Clinic, we're going to have Vic from Boston. Folks, this is Pure Gold. We'll be right back. Take a trip on the turnpike with Jeff and James, South Jersey. Oh, man, I am so hungry. Me too. What should we get? Oh, are you kidding me? This is my neck of the woods. I know the perfect spot. Let's go get a cheesesteak. Oh my god, this sh already? Is that all you people talk about? We get it. Meat and cheese together are good. Turnpike Throwdown. Check out the Turnpike Throwdown, a flipping out radio production on mtrmedia.com. Because <laughs> I have that twang. Folks, it's Pure Gold. It's July 5th, live from Hasbro Heights, New Jersey, the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We are back, and folks, we have Vic on the line. Vic, we're talking some NBA lockout now with you. How are you doing at the Betty Ford Clinic? What's going on, guys? <laughs> we're doing good here, Vic, as always a pleasure. And, of course, folks, uh, if you'd like to call in and talk to us after we finish with Vic, to call number 714-364-4721, Vic... What meds are you dude, on? Dude, yeah. dude, I just have to say, who is that guy, Todd? Yeah. So Todd. his suggestion, so he wants the fans to pick the the list of top NFL players. How how is that working out for the uh, MLB roster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually how good. That work out? That's a good point. How does that work out for the NBA roster? I think Yao Ming got picked as the starting center this past year, right? Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the line, Vic. I, I guess over at the Betty Ford Clinic, the, the, the phones aren't working properly. But uh, you're right. The, we talked about that at the, at the beginning of the show, how the whole fans voting for the All-Star, it's, it's a joke. It, it, there's no way to do it right. The only way to be to create some type of Skynet, you know, type of Terminator 2, you know, uh, entity that can, <laughs> that'll take over the world, that can pick who, who who's who and what's what based solely on numbers because – Fans need to get their heads out of their collective rear ends because they, they pick terribly. Then you leave it up to the coaches. Sometimes, you know, they're favoring their own players. So it's just, I don't know how it works, uh, Vic. Uh, I, you know what it is? They, they should just let leave it the way it is and not make the game count. I think the most ridiculous thing is to have the All-Star game count. I mean, that's the part where uh makes no sense. If you let the fans vote, for um, essentially what entails to be a popularity contest, then how are you going to 
give any credence or any value to the game. It's just ridiculous. So but true. anyways, I think hard to talk about the MLB All-Star game. Okay. Now, Vic, I mean, we have, uh, you know, the NFL lockout, which, you know, hopefully will get resolved very soon. And now we have another right. sport, the NBA lockout. Now, these two, this lockout might last a lot longer than the NFL lockout. Just give us just the basics on why there, there's a lockout and how you would fix the NBA, because I know we talked offline, and I think you have a great solution to how to fix the NBA. Right. So, so essentially, what it is is the NBA owners claim, uh, two-thirds of it claim, that um, they're losing money. So they're better off uh, not even opening the doors uh, come September and October um, because they're, they're losing money hand over that supposedly. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But you have the players going into uh, this bargaining session asking for more money, which I think is ridiculous. Now, I don't know where you guys, you know, side you guys on in this. Uh, personally, I, my take is that I don't care what's right or wrong. I think the product sucks. I think the league sucks. And I think the league, you know, has a chance this year to fix it. And like I told you, Joe, you know, I'm all rooting for it as long as it takes to fix the league. And I think there's three parts of it that have messed up. Obviously, the financial component of it, you know, owners are complaining about losing money, the players are not buying it. That component of it, I don't think fans care. I don't think fans care whether the owners make money or not. Uh, I know that you guys are talk shows. I don't know if you guys care. But um, I, I don't think that part matters. I think the other two parts, I think uh, competitive balance is one. Uh, I've always complained about competitive balance in the NBA. I don't think there, I don't think there are enough teams in it to win it every each year and year in and year out. I think it's uh, become too predictable. If you ask me, the NBA after four major sports, um, I think they could have a chance to fix that. And I think the third part of it is I think game, game itself, the product on the court, uh, blows. I think it sucks. Um, <laughs> as, a, as an NBA fan, you know, it's tough to watch the game sometimes especially in the middle of December and middle of January. Um, you know, you don't get any flow to the game. They call fouls every other play. It's just the game sucks in general. And I think they have a chance to fix it this year. And I think um, if, I'm, if I'm Commissioner Stern, if I'm an NBA fan, which I am uh, for the most part, I'm rooting for this. So uh, what do you guys think? Hey, Vic, we're thinking of hiring you as the uh, mediator for the uh, NBA lockout, and hopefully you can resolve that, and of course the NFL, too. Hey, Vic, uh, before we let you go and, you know, go back to your medication, because yeah. I'm sure it's about time your your time's running up, um, let me ask you this. I heard this on the radio today, and I wanted to get your opinion. If you could take – this, you got two choices. You could either have all of the NFL season and no NBA, or half of the NFL and then all of the NBA. Which would you pick with the oh, lockout? I'll take all of the NFL and no NBA. Okay. I mean, I think, I mean, this thing wrong with, you know what it is, the NFL, you always want more. You always want more of the NFL. I mean, I find myself at the end of the year, after the Super Bowl is over, I always want more because the product is so good on the field. As opposed to the NBA, I mean, it just drags on for months and months, and, and half of these games are just awful anyways, and, by the time you get to June, you always want it to end. You just want it to be over with. And um, I think it's an easy one. I think it's, uh, you know, it's an easy one for me, I'll tell you that. I don't know about for you guys, but um, I'm definitely rooting for uh, for a long lockout, <laughs> fix, the, uh, fix the product, <laughs> and then uh, we'll actually talk some real basketball come uh, maybe fall of 2012. Or 2015. Vic, oh, the 2015. world by 2012, so you can forget about that, and as Joe would say. But listen, Vic, we appreciate you calling in, of course. You know, I know you only get one call a day, so we appreciate you taking that one call to to call us. Anytime, man. Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm always, you know, waiting, waiting on the phone. Yeah, you can call on Thursdays. Now, now that we're only once a week, you make sure you call in on Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I'll Take talk care. to you later. Bye. Go. Folks, that was the incomparable... The one and only Vic calling us from up in uh, up in Beantown. JB, break it down for us, sir. What did you do this 4th of July weekend? Well, as we wrap up another show of Pure Gold here at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Hasbro Heights, I must say, DG, 
that the 4th of July is one of my favorite holidays for many reasons. I mean, it's good weather. You have good food. You have barbecues. I mean, you could go in the pool. Um, so I, I love fireworks, DG, and I'm, I'm, I've always been a big fan of, of fireworks. And uh, I always have to go to my hometown in Belleville, New Jersey, and, and watch those fireworks because I think they put on one of the best displays. I think, DG, you should come next year. Bring your daughter. Bring your wife. Bring the cat. Bring everybody. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a great time, DG. I mean, I, I I had to take up care of some business. I had to wake up at four in the morning on Fourth of July yesterday. That sucks. To take care of some business, but then wait, wait, that, wait. What kind of business do you have to take care of at four in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but uh, you know, I did spend some time with my in-laws, but then went to my brother-in-law's mother's house to a <laughs> pool party barbecue. So I had a good time, and you know, had some spent some time, but then. I took my daughter for the first time ever to see fireworks, and I know it sounds like you know it's like it's gonna be a dreadful experience, and you know <laughs> she might start crying because those fireworks are kind of loud. Those M80s that they throw off uh, in between at the finale—I mean, they could scare you if you're two years old. But they're firing them right. In so she was, you know, clapping. She was, you know, she was clapping her hands, saying, "Daddy, I love the fireworks," and I was having such a good time. I was a little concerned, DG, in the beginning that we'd have to run out of there because we, with her kicking and screaming. But DG, I just let you know, Sabrina loves the green fireworks. You know, folks. Again, we apologize. I, I don't know what happened here, but apparently, when Joe was talking, he got a little cut off. I mean, he was talking garbage anyway, so we didn't really, we didn't really need to hear it. But um, <laughs> the funny thing is that I absolutely, sir, would think that that would have been a dreadful experience. And, you know, like I said, m is going off, blowing up in her ear, and, you know, she's going nuts. But I like the fact that, uh, you know, you were able to take her out. I mean, she's she's two now, right? She's going to be three, but, yeah, she's two and a half. Yeah, so that, that's definitely some good stuff there, sir. Um, you know, it's always a, a fun... Would you say that was, this is your most memorable fireworks experience, considering you took your daughter? No, <laughs> there's, there's some there's some experiences that you, you'd probably crack up. I mean, there was a time when the fireworks they um, a couple of them exploded right off the ground, and we felt the ashes, so we got singed a couple of years. There was other experiences that are much better, but you know, having your daughter there uh, to watch the fireworks, have a great time. It's all about the Fourth of July. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure to bring my daughter there next year when she's like seven months old. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get her singed at seven months old. But, DJ, I know you had a good time on the 4th of July. Oh, I did. And, you know, my wife and I were trying to decide what to do. The family was scumming it up, and nobody had anything exciting going on, unfortunately. But, you know, we decided to go take a drive down to Bridgewater, New Jersey. We went to go see the Somerset Patriots. We saw some good quality baseball. <laughs> and, you know, on a, on a side note, um, you know, we were just – we had no idea what to do. And I just went to the, I went to the deli to get a, to get a sandwich. And I was like, you know what? Let me just, I looked at the schedule and I was like, you know, wait, why don't we just go down there? Why don't we just uh, take a ride? And she loved the idea. So, we, you know, spontaneous as it were, we decided to go down there. And I had a blast. You know, it, the usual would be like you said, go to somebody's uh, barbecue, go check out fireworks. And, you know, we, we weren't up to it. So we decided to go stuff our faces down at the park. The baseball action was great. Um, you know, all I can say was that we had a really good time. It was so much fun. The best thing about it is that you get to see some good, like I said, competitive baseball with some former major league players and some. What's great about the league, as I was looking it up, is that they have really big personalities. Like, for example, the the manager of the Somerset Patriots, the only manager of the team, and they've actually, they're the winningest team in the history of the franchise. They have the highest attendance in the, in the league, I'm sorry. And they've won five titles, which is pretty cool. Sparky Lyle, who's a former great reliever for the New York Yankees, among other teams, he's the manager of the Patriots. You have other uh, all, other all-time greats like Tim Raines and even Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson, who are also managers of different teams in the league, and they're involved. So it actually shows you that you know people do, people do check these games out. This, this nice stadium. It reminds me of City Field. They had some sweet food, the funnel cakes, the premium sausages. They had everything you would expect at a major league ballpark, but on a smaller level. You know, DG, you bring up a good point. If you're a family, if you have a family and you just love the game of baseball, going to see a Somerset Patriot game is a good idea. Even going somewhere close to me, like a Newark Bear game, is a good idea because it's it's uh, cost effective. You don't have to spend an arm and a leg to see the Yankees and Mets. I mean. Can you only imagine how much a family of four would have to cost to go see a Yankee game with tickets, parking, how to get there? I mean, you go to a Somerset Patriot game. Getting mugged. Don't forget about that. Yeah. So you go to a Somerset Patriot game for the love of baseball, and you get to have a good time, good family atmosphere. And how were the fireworks? Well, (laughs) the best part about it was that on July 4th, 
on a home game. They decide not to have fireworks. Apparently, they do fireworks like every other week. They're going to have them in two weeks, which you're planning on going to that game. But how how the Patriots, i got to write, I write into them and talk to Sparky Lyle, how in the world they decide not to have fireworks on the 4th of July when they do fireworks all the time is beyond me. But what's cool is that you don't have to take out a second mortgage on your house just to be able to go to a game. What I was telling you uh, on the car ride here was that for the, for basically for the cost of and I calculated all this in my head for the cost of um, the parking at City Field and the tolls the fifty tolls that you have to pay there and back and maybe a couple bucks on top of that parking and tolls we were able to get two tickets behind home plate we were able to stuff our faces with funnel cake with it was dollar hot dog night we had a couple of those we sucked those down we got a couple of sodas I mean we really went to town we got French fries we went to all, downtown to Chinatown, and all that for the same pr- and parking, all that for the same price that would have cost, cost us just to get to the stadium, and not even to get in or to get tickets or anything else. There was a family of four in front of us, and you know, two sons and their parents, and they were just having the time of their lives. And it goes to show that if you love baseball, if you're into baseball, you can check this out. It's a great place. You can go to SomersetPatriots.com and get tickets. Like I said, they've had a, you know, as a matter of fact, there was a guy on the team. I'm sure you'll remember this guy, uh, Justin Huber, who was formerly a top. A catching prospect for the New York Mets. And if you remember former Mets, uh, Robinson Cantell and Brandon Knight, they both came from Somerset, sir. Yeah, I do remember the names. But, um, like, to my point, to your point, DG, is that if you want to catch baseball, for the love of baseball, you go to these uh, minor league uh, affiliates, or sometimes they're not even associated with minor league baseball, but uh, you have a good time. It's cost-effective. And I think the next generation, it seems like uh, corporations buy up these tickets for, the you know, major league sports, and they give them out to their employees. But fans like uh, fans like us, me and you, DG, it's just better to go to these kind of games where it's like I said, it's, it's close, it's cost effective, and everyone has a good time. But you know, in terms of just the game itself, DG, last night, how was the game? Oh my gosh! You know, I tell you, it, the ending was one of the greatest endings to a baseball game I've ever seen. Unfortunately, the Patriots lost. But let me picture this. Let, let me paint this picture for you. The Patriots are down six to one most of the game. My boy Justin Huber hit a bomb to left field, and you know they decided they started to come back little by little. They were kind of playing some sloppy ball. Last inning, the very last inning, you have two outs, three-two count, bases loaded. The Patriots were at this point down seven, uh, six to five. Jeff Nettles, the son of Greg Nettles, the former New York Yankee great third baseman, came up, and I'm telling you, this was like a ten, fifteen pitch at bat. He hit a bomb to left, uh, and he pulled it again, and. Again, bases loaded, game-winning hit time. All the a single would have tied it. I'm sorry, folks. It was a six to four, and a single would have tied it because two runs would have scored. Nettles finally straightens the ball, hits an absolute bomb to straight center field, 402, all the way to the wall. We're jumping up, we're screaming, we're shouting, thinking game-winning grand slam. But instead, the center fielder for the Road Warriors jumped just above the line, robbed. Nettles of a game-winning grand wow. slam, and we could not believe it. Joe, it was it was this. This guy's hitting. It's three fifteen down the line. This guy hit two or three shots that would have been long gone. Instead, he hits it to the deepest part of the park, and you know, I'm telling you, the fans were worried. They couldn't believe it. It was just a great ending to a game. Again, they lost, but it was amazing. That that sounds like a great ending, DG, and uh, I'm glad you had a good time. And I'm sure that you'll be visiting uh, and going to some more Patriot games when your daughter's born. Not right away, obviously, but obviously, definitely. definitely, maybe. But you know, it's a good time. I see you had a good time. The only thing I would say is, like, you know, you you hit on it, and I, I'm just befuddled. Is how do you not have fireworks on the Fourth of July, <laughs> but you have fireworks every other night? It, that does not make any sense to me. You know, it it doesn't make any sense. But another thing that was kind of cool about the, the team was that between their innings, they have they have all types of uh, different competitions. That they have T-shirt throwing. You know, they're shooting balls uh, into the stands. They gave away free patriotic baseballs, which is nice. They have, uh, you know, all different types of kids' things, basically to get the whole family involved. And I just, like I said, I can't say enough about the atmosphere. And, you, you know, it's a 30-minute ride from where I live. You know, you can go see the Bears. Just to check these games out, you want to show your kids baseball. I mean, my wife and I have already decided that this is going to be our other team. You know, we're gonna I'm going to keep a tabs on the Patriots. Of course, they won two years ago. Now they're horrible this year. But, you know, I'm going to keep tabs on them. I'm going to check them out. We're trying to get our, our, our uh, niece who's coming with us and our nephews and stuff and get my cousins and basically get a whole big group, 10, 15 of us, and just go down there and check out the fireworks on the 30th on a Saturday. And it's just like I said, for the price of, of, of you know, going over the bridge and then some, 
you can get good quality baseball. And again, you may see a, a famous player. You may get an autograph. I mean, there's so many things for the kids there. I threw a blazing fast 48 mile per hour fastball yesterday in the little uh, pitching area. But aside from that, it, it was just a wonderful experience, and I can't say enough good things. And you know, I'm actually going to see if we can get some uh, some PR work going on here and try to get some of the the Patriots on our show and just you know promote them as much as we can. Good job, DG. I'm glad you had a great fourth. And folks. We're running up to the end of the show, and I just want to thank uh, many people. I know DG has the list, but um, you know we'll, we'll return back to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting on Tuesday, July 19th. And uh, DG, who do we have lined up for that night? Folks, we have an absolute slobber knocker of a guest. We have the one and only, and Joe, I have to admit this is an honor, the one and only Miss USA 2010, Rima Faki who is going to be joining us. Uh, you know, again, obviously she was Miss USA a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, recently they, they crowned the new Miss USA, so she's no longer uh, in control of the, the world title, as it were. She was a contestant on Tough Enough this year, and somebody who's really involved in the, in the wrestling industry wants to be a diva, wants to be a part of the WWE, and just somebody, you know, again, we're honored to have on. She's going to be joining us. You know, we're going to we're gonna work things out, and it's going to, you know, hopefully we'll get the, the kinks worked out by then. But uh, we're thinking around the you know 10:30 mark we'll be able to go live and on the air and get her on and just uh, you know lay the smackdown on her as only a pure gold can do and of course that's a big show for us so again that's Tuesday July 19th we have a Miss USA Rima Faki joining us just to our note to our audience and fans uh, we will have our show at our regular studio next week at 10 p.m. July 12th just want to let you know our big guest which will be on July 19th and DG tonight I gotta say like our show says uh, in the beginning. Sports life and everything in between. I think we hit on every single topic, you know, from sports to sports entertainment to real life stuff. So, good show. Want to wish you a safe and happy flight tomorrow as you head out to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Have a good one, sir, and I'll talk to you soon. Folks, you're listening to Pure Gold, the greatest show on earth. Of course, the call in line if you'd ever like to call in, 714-364-4721. We'd like to thank uh, CSB for having us again. Uh, we'd like to thank Flips, our producer. We'd like to thank Kelly, our board op, and of course, the rest of the Pure Gold team. Thanks, Pyro, for calling in. Vic and Todd, as always, for his terrific take. You know, I have another adjective I could call it, but let, let's not even go there. It's a bathroom break, folks, for me. But we appreciate Todd, as always, and folks, we appreciate listening in. Check us out next Tuesday. We will be starting at 10 o'clock. Um, it's been Real JB. And of course, of course, check us out, puregoldpg.com. Folks, that's all the time we have this evening. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it PG. A flipping out radio production. It's real. We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again. We are exploding, the world is gonna know it. We'll rock it like you're never gonna see us again.